The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota Nomad, the Shale Play Prophet. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern provolone is manning the production elements of the podcast. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today. We're going to be talking with John Clark in just a moment or two about some of the OPEC, OPEC Plus, and this OPEC Plus, 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 Plus that I keep hearing about. Or maybe there's only two pluses. I'm not sure. But it's... One of the more creative titles, I guess. You know, and, and actually, when you think about it, it's actually quite clever because we're so busy with everything. Just adding an extra plus, that's how lazy people are getting these days. Just put an extra plus on there and add an extra zero to my salary while you're at it, too. And they got it. And they get it. That's what's going on. All right, what do we got coming up on today's program here, folks? Like I said, we've got John Clark, Clark Energy Consulting, to talk about OPEC and OPEC Plus, as well as some of the emergency virtual meeting comments that happened. Jake Milney, Bailey Midkiff at WIC are talking about some of the adaptions their companies have made with COVID-19 shutdown, coronavirus pandemic. I'm also going to ask them about the uh, healing and helping the coronavirus fight on how the oil and gas industry being deemed essential industry, if you will, and, you know, being so close to Colorado, I'm always curious, not trying to stir the pot, it's an actual legitimate journalistic question when a governor of a state comes out publicly and proclaims a war on oil and gas, his words, not mine. It's, it's okay to ask, you know, when he comes out and says this is an essential industry, to call him out on it and ask, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it both ways here, buddy. Admit that one of the two ways is a little bit sensational. Okay, war on oil and gas. We're going to eliminate it now when we've got a pandemic, an epidemic, pandemic. They're an essential part. And I mean essential, essential. Okay, it's not like they're building a new mini mall here. It's not like they're doing something like that. No. Ventilators, powering the ventilators, distributing the ventilators, making the products that allow the ventilators to move and operate and work. That's just the ventilators. Now we can talk about the masks and gloves and diesel fuel that gets the products and vaccines from point A to point B. Whew, I tell you, it, it, we, we could do a whole show on that. We could do a whole week on that. In fact, that's what we should do. We should do a whole week on that. Provolone! Get my idea folder out. Oh, there it is. That's right. You're not even here today. You're teleconferencing this sucker in today. By the way, am I doing all the work now? We live in a digital world here, man. We, you you can pick up some of the slack here. Oh, it's COVID-19 shutdown. I got to work tele-remotely and Zoomly and things like that. And by the way, we got a story coming up I saw about Zoom how a congressman wants that over. We got Zoom bombs going on. So that's what we call the tease, folks. That's what we call a tease. Headlines coming up a little later in the program. 
Like I said, John Clark's going to join us in just a couple minutes here. Jake Milne and Bailey Midkiff with WIC going to talk about some different uh, energy-related topics. And then, of course, coming up a little later in the program, our daily radio update on the podcast, Josh Swanson will join us. In fact, he's going to talk about the difference between pandemic and epidemic. Well, more about how it's important that the courts define that sooner rather than later. I mean, there's insurance companies that actually, the insurance industry is is really their backs up against the wall due to a pandemic and epidemic and what the courts decide because they'd have to pay out a lot of cash with the force majeure contract. Check it out. It started with the NBA. Uh, some writers talked about it with the NBA in terms of if the owners were going to implement the force majeure clause in many contracts, which is like an act of God and a lot of times flooding with agriculture and an oil and gas too. You know, they got to send letters out so they get the wells ready for when the flood comes, that sort of thing. So this is common in those areas, but it's never been paid out industry wide. And you've already got the cheesecake factory challenging this already. They've already sent letters out that they're not paying their rent anymore in their Pointing the finger right at the pandemic slash epidemic part of contracts. Look at it. Pretty much any contract has it. Any rate, that is Josh Swanson with our daily radio update, and we put it right here on the podcast. Coming up also, Trunkline. They are sponsored today. Thank you, Trunkline, who is a one-stop shop for oil-filled materials, equipment, and merchandise. Search, compare, and purchase products from vendors all across the country. Check out their website, trunkline.com. That is trunkline.com. And you can even buy some coffee there as well. I know they got coffee as well as rigs and drill bits and all kinds of different things, solar pumps even, trunkline.com. Folks, check out our March Madness tournament. It's over. Swan Energy has defeated Target Hospitality in the finals. Go to thecrudelife.com. Check out our show page here for the for the podcast, and you can take a look at their road, how they made it all the way from the very early stages to the finals. But they were a one seed, so they were favored to begin with. So congratulations, Swan Energy, the national champions in the 2020 March Madness Tournament. All righty, what else do we have going on today, folks? You know, is John Clark ready? I'd like to go to John Clark. Uh, if we could here, please, because let's find out what's going on with OPEC, OPEC Plus, OPEC Plus Plus. I am not even sure what that is. So uh, John Clark, Clark Energy Consulting, coming up in just a moment here, folks. I got to take a quick pause, grab a quick cup of coffee before we talk to John Clark. See you in about 30 seconds. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. All right, now we're going to join John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. Of course, there was a OPEC meeting, and I'll tell you, i got to be honest here. I've, I've been so busy with things our phone and our emails have been so busy 
because people are trying to separate themselves from the noise out there. There's just so much information and there's no sports going on. So people are just inundated with news and trying to consume so much. I didn't even really even know there was a meeting going on. I think I knew about it, but I wasn't sure. And so I just thought I'd bring in John Clark and John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. How are you doing today? Hey, Jason. Doing well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. I just, like I said, man, I'm so busy trying to keep up with everything because in my world, I don't know about your world, uh, everybody is trying to separate themselves from the noise out there because everybody and their brother and their sister literally are on social media because they got nowhere else to go and nothing else to do type of a thing. And there's some people that are getting together and apparently having emergency meetings and all these other things. So uh, how can somebody, you know, stand out a little bit? Well, get a hold of John Clark and figure out what's going on with OPEC. So let's talk a little bit about the pricing and how people can utilize today's information. Sure, Jason. Yeah, thanks for the intro. Uh, You know, it it is interesting. And now more than ever, uh, especially while people are staying at home due to the outbreak, uh, there's so much news and so much information that comes out. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard to know, you know, what's true, what's rumored, and and uh, so today I'll talk a little bit about what happened with the OPEC meeting. Uh, so the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries met today in an emergency virtual meeting and agreed to an outline of an unprecedented uh, production cut of 23% or 11 million barrels per day. That would be the largest cut in history. But many analysts are suggesting that it could fall through if other nations don't agree to cuts as well. You may have heard the term OPEC plus. That would be the original OPEC members plus Russia and the new term that's been coined OPEC plus plus, which would be that same OPEC plus group. In addition, the uh, other nations like the U.S., Um, And so really, we need some more clarity on this outline of an agreement that came out today. What happened with oil prices, uh, the the, the report came out at uh, 10 a.m. Central, oil prices jumped on the news. And what often happens, as I do follow the oil futures market, uh, there's something called buy the rumor, sell the news. And so uh, what happened is oil jumped on the news and sold off, uh, I think it jumped a double digit percentage and then sold off like 9% after the report came out stating that it was uh, just an outline to an agreement. And so the current situation, so tomorrow, uh, Friday is the G20 Energy Summit and many analysts expect to uh, get more clarity on whether or not US will participate in this global oil production cut. How about when it comes to Saudi Arabia, Russia? Obviously, a lot of people had pointed some fingers at them for, well, they even used the word shenanigans. So uh, was it, what, did you see anything on that in terms of was that brought up? Was that addressed? Is it just kind of we're not going to really talk about it? We're going to fix the problem first? Did you see anything when it comes to Russia or Saudi Arabia? When... When Trump uh, tweeted, I think it was last week, that he was hopeful that Saudi and Russia would come to an agreement of uh, 10 to 15 million barrels reduction per day, uh, it turns out that uh, he didn't even speak to both parties. So there's been uh, you know, a lot of rumors, rumors and, and speculation 
I, I, I certainly don't know what's going on, you know, within the kingdom and with, you know, within the Kremlin, but uh, I do know that, um, you know, what I've seen in the past, and this hap- seems to happen during election years, I-, I followed the markets last election year in 2016, and, you know, it's really just the last five years in, in the oil extended downturn, uh, <laughs> I typically say not to trust anything OPEC says. There's oftentimes, uh, you know, jawboning that occurs where, they say, oh, you know, we're, we're expecting to cut or we, we hope to cut. And, you know, this comes out of the news and people get all excited. But then when the actual, you know, cuts do come out, even in the past when Saudi and uh, OPEC has have announced production cuts, uh, oil prices dropped. And so it's almost illogical uh, when you when you follow the markets and follow the news flow. Um, you know, what I've heard is that Saudi Arabia needs about an 84. 80 to 85 dollar per barrel to uh to fix their overall uh, balance sheet but their their break-even production cost is like nine dollars a barrel so they you know they're still making positive cash flow even in that 20 dollar oil i'm not sure what russia's you know break-even point is but obviously we know the u.s shale is you know l- losing money below you know 40 40 dollars for sure and so in this price environment, you know, we've already seen um, 120 or 120 rigs dropped uh, or 15 percent in the past two weeks. And some analysts expect that number to fall another 100 rigs in the next month. And so, uh, you know, typically, you know, we've seen this in the past when oil prices are low, operators cut rigs and allow for their wells to naturally decline. And that kind of manages itself. Uh, but in today's unprecedented supply glut, there have been additional measures necessary uh, that have been talked about, such as curtailing production or even shutting in producing wells. There have, you know, th- the question is, can the independent producers of America co- coordinate to shut in production, you know, as the international oil companies can do? Well, the problem is there's about 9,000 I don't know if you knew this, Jason. There's about 9,000 independent U.S. producers. And in a capital-free market, additionally, with lease obligations, uh, debt repayment obligations, it's impossible for this to happen. There's not, it's not possible unless there are federal regulations or even state regulations that uh, prorate production or curtail production. And what I've been hearing is that many of the producers don't want to do that. Part of it is because they have to they have their covenants of their debt they have to pay back and they still have to you know make cash flow or they must drill in order to secure leaseholds so they can drill in the future and so i think as far as rig count goes we'll start to see that decline and that will impact production but it it may come to the point of operators may have to actually shut in their wells because they may recognize hey we can't make money at this price let's you know wait and you know, open the wells back up whenever prices look better. So it's, 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 it's certainly an interesting dynamic. You know, the other dynamic, and we saw this in the last supply gut, glut, excuse me, um, that we're actually running out of capacity, storage capacity. And, you know, Cushing is the pricing point for WTI in Oklahoma. And that's where, you know, the product is priced and sold at. And if you've ever been out there, it's interesting. I have 
a cousin that lives in Cushing, Oklahoma. It's the uh, pipeline crossroads of America, and they have these huge, huge tank farms. I don't know how much each tank holds, but it's got to be thousands of barrels or, or more, uh, hundreds of thousands possibly, that hold all this crude. And, and we're I think we're close to you know, 90% full. And some analysts expect that uh, our storage capacity will be full in the next four to six weeks. And so there actually have been several midstream companies that have even sent letters to producers asking them to curtail their production, which is unprecedented because that goes directly against the pipeline company's interests. You know, they get, they're basically like a toll road. So they get paid you know, as the oil flows through their pipes and the more volume that goes through it, the more money they make. Um, So if they're asking producers to reduce their production, that certainly means they have limited capacity and or the pipeline companies, you know, they're, they're the middle party between, you know, the producer and consumer. And so they, that tells me they expect oil prices to be even lower in the, in the coming weeks uh, than it is today because their, you know, their incentive would be, uh, why would we take on this oil now and pay a higher price when it we think it may drop further, and then where our storage capacity has been reached at a sooner point in time, and then they may actually have a, a differential where they actually have to pay to sell their oil to someone else. So it's a it's a lose lose situation whenever we're reaching this storage capacity limit. Um, and that really goes to tell me that I don't think that even the proposed agreement of 11 million barrels per day cut will balance the oil markets. And many estimate that due to the coronavirus, 20 to 30 million barrels per day of demand has been taken offline. So 11 million barrels per day is, is not going to cut it. Uh, thank you, but not enough OPEC. And even if they do cut we're still faced with a supply glut. I've heard some companies are looking at uh, storage in terms of figuring out ways to, you know, turn their their, their storage units uh, in, into oil storage during this because the refineries are full. And I don't know the science behind it, but I know that there are people doing blueprints and drawings right now because of the issue that you're talking about. Be the refineries are full. Storage is about ready to be completely at capacity. So there are some people who are looking at, hey, I'm, I'll become a storage facility for oil for a while. If that's what it takes, you bet. I mean, because there, there is going to be a little bit of a, of a trickle coming still. You know, it's just it's, it's not like turning the spigot off. And when, when you're full, you're full. So we'll have to keep an eye on this story because there's definitely more to it and it's not over yet. But I do want to ask you about tariffs coming out of this OPEC plus meeting. Uh, it's, it seems like there's more questions and answers so far, John, and you're not the only one. I got an email from Senator Kramer while we were talking, and he said the same thing, very similar. Let me, I'll read you his comments here. These reports are encouraging and a step in the right direction. No matter what, the mess Saudi Arabia and Russia made will, may take years to clean up. I look forward to reviewing more details as they come out and seeing if these actions are enough to provide market stability and we'll be watching closely to ensure a follow through by a follow through by parties. If not, United States will further empowered to take immediate action. Very similar to what you're saying in terms of there's 
there's, there, we're going to have to take a look at this report a little bit more. Plus, we're going to have to see if it's going to continue on. Uh, I did want to ask you about tariffs. I know tariffs was something I saw on the news the last couple. In fact, I think probably the last week or two. I haven't explored it yet because I didn't think we were that serious about it. And so I, I didn't know if it was actually serious enough to be discussed into this OPEC meeting or not. But I, I know it's been in the news and I know it's been talked about, but I didn't know if it reached the level of severity to where we'd actually do it or not. Uh, did you see anything about tariffs? Yeah, I've been following that too. I, I'm not certain on what the you know economic impact of tariffs would be as far as the current environment, but I, I do know that uh, Harold Ham, uh, Continental Resources CEO, um, uh, and a and a you know oil uh, giant in in the Bakken there in North Dakota, Jason, he he mentioned that he doesn't think that tariffs are are a solution, uh, and you know really what's happening is Saudi and, and Russia are economic dumping. I think there may be some uh, uh, recourse that the government can take uh, as far as an anti-dumping um, tariff or something like that. I, I'm not certain what, what that'll do to the markets. Uh, I think in general, you know, you know, the, the U.S. shale and, and American oil and gas has really been founded on capital-free markets. And uh, there's some people that really want, you know, I, that really think that the best solution uh, and you may have heard this term, you know, the cure for low prices is low prices. Uh, really what that means is, you know, uh, if the government steps in to provide, to apply tariffs, uh, you know, there still could be uh, unseen consequences or unforeseen consequences uh, and hidden costs or different trade-offs. Um, and and that's, that's really a, a macroeconomic question. Um, not not s certain on how that would, you know, really help, I think. Um, you know, it, 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 there's still the supply glut and there's still the, the, uh, the fact that producers still have to pay their debts. And, uh, and so it, I think many producers don't, don't want to be forced to curtail many, you know, capitalists say, you know, it's a free market. We should let it solve itself. And, you know, at the end of this will be a more efficient industry and ultimately, you know, be able to, um, you know, per, provide energy when prices are higher and as people go back to work and drive their cars and start flying again. Um, so it, it'll be certainly something to watch for over the, you know, coming weeks and months. Yeah, I was a little bit taken back by the tariffs. You know, I, like I said, I get it. I understand it. I, I totally am on board with any time a discussion is is open. But at the end of the day, I always go back to what does the free market say? What what does the free market want to do on this? We're moving in the right direction if we could just get there, you know, if we can get the pipelines built and some other things. So uh, I guess I'm just trying to conclude here with we're moving in the right direction. And it sounds like this OPEC meeting was at least knocking us back on the right track again after what essentially just, you know, created a shock to the system. You know, we, we had a we had a shock when it came to OPEC with Russia and, and Saudi Arabia. And then we had a shock when it came to the coronavirus. So it just seems like um, this is at least good news, John. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, you know, as a free market capitalist that, you know, the efficiencies and, you know, the the strong will survive. And those are the companies that need to, you know, with the good balance sheets and, and good management. Uh, out of the 9,000 companies, you know, U.S. Shale has independent there, there's a handful, plenty of them that, 
you know, have been, you know, ran poorly, uh, you know, also not been accretive to share, shareholders and investors are, are demanding, uh, you know, to be more accretive and, and consider free cash flows. And so this is a problem that our industry has faced over the last five years, you know, even the last decade, even when oil was $100 a barrel, you know, your your sins are forgiven at $100 a barrel. But when you have low prices, it really forces economic, uh, you know, considerations and, and really looking at every dollar spent. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing for the industry. It's going to it's going to be tough for, you know, the foreseeable future. But at, at the end of this, we're going to come out stronger. And ultimately, American oil and gas will uh, still, you know, maintain energy dominance. It's it, it just a, it's just going to be a, uh, a short time to rest and, and reevaluate and, um, you know, ultimately, you know, focus on what we can do. And, and even if, even if that means not drilling, completing, uh, or even curtailing production wells, there's still opportunities to take information and learn. And I think our industry, and I've found myself in this uh, experience as well, having worked for four different producers, Sometimes when when it's when the goal is growth at all cost, you you don't always have time to look back and see what were the results of the decisions that were being made. And so now we have time for pause and the industry can really look at, you know, how can we do better and continue to evolve and transform and and leverage technology, efficiencies, learnings that has been really the crux of the shale revolution. And so we're we're continuing to evolve. That's just part of the the capital free market process. Thank you, John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. Tell you what, let's go to the next interview because I see they're already buzzing in. So Provolone, let's patch them through. Jake Milney and Bailey Midkiff with WIC, that's Williams Insulation Company. William, not plural, William Insulation Company, otherwise known as WIC. Jake Milney, Bailey Midkiff, they're out of the Wyoming offices out there. Going to chew the fat a little bit about the COVID-19, but I do want to ask him about uh, the essential energy portion here about the oil and gas industry. All right, I'm getting a thumbs up from Provolone. So let's go ahead and patch them through, get a mic level check, do all that fun stuff, and get rolling along, moving, moving, moving. Thank you, Provolone. Jake Milney, WIC. Bailey Midkiff, WIC. Excellent. Thank you both for joining me here today. We were just talking quickly about the... Nice weather that is approaching. You know, we've got, uh, well, for those folks listening, we're recording this right before Easter. So, you know what, guys? We should, we should probably wish everybody a happy Easter and a happy spring and everything. What do you think, huh, Jake? Are you, are you, are you up for that today? Friday. Absolutely. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. Uh, too bad the uh, whole country shut down, but... Uh, you know, it's probably haven't seen anything like this since back in World War II, really. You're probably right on that. You know, and the thing what, that I talked about this morning on the Black Hills Radio, I do a weekly, I do a weekly radio update with Black Hills Radio. It's got Newcastle and uh, Gillette and uh, Belfouche involved with the radio stations. And we talked about how there's some communities actually having the conversation of whether police officers are going to break up Easter Sunday masses. And I thought I'd never thought I'd live in a world where we would be having that public discussion or not. Can you believe it? Hmm. I mean, I know he, I know the Catholic churches here in Casper. Uh, they're letting people come in, but it's all outside. And it's one family at a time going up to get communion and uh, 
At least that's what I've been told is going on here. Yeah, it's it's different. You know, a lot of people are embracing the online side of things, of course. And there, I've seen some articles on how to worship on Sunday, and it's just it's it's just another sign of the times that we're going through. And you know, last time we spoke, uh, Bailey Midkiff, you were out there doing uh, outside sales calls. You know, you'd show up to somebody's office, and there'd be a sign up that says, you know, nobody's around today, appointment only, and everything. How about a little update from the outside sales world, if you wouldn't mind? Is that uh, still a thing, or is that kind of slowed down a little bit? I think it's grown a little bit. <laughs> I have one today. That's good to hear. <laughs> right? I, I had one today where the individual I talked to yesterday, and mind you, so this was only a day ago, that, hey, you know, can I swing in? Is it appropriate? I, you know, I'm taking the precautions, and they were perfectly fine with this situation. I get there today. And the door was locked. I called, and they came to the door on the phone and said, hey, we just got a public announcement via email for the whole company that we can't take calls. Even though it's been planned, they want us to avoid this unless it's of dire need. So they talked to me via phone as they stared at me through the glass window. So, I mean, it's give and take. Boy, that's an interesting uh, story there, but that's really a sign of the times. I've got a few people that stop by. My my house. I've been you know pretty much self quarantined. Our state's on a on a uh, uh, stay at home quarantine until May. We just got reissued till May actually May fifth, and um, well you know being a border state of North Dakota and all, and uh, we, we you know we've got some some interesting things that have happened. I'm I put I t- tested negative. You know I went in for my my cancer update and they gave me a screening and this and that and I didn't have any symptoms and. Like I said, after they, they gave me a clean bill of health on my cancer, the doctor actually shook my hand. He was so confident that I didn't have COVID-19. So I've had a few people that have stopped by because they're just going stir crazy. And, I, you know, I, the reason I bring it up, Bailey and Jake, is I do want people to know that oil and gas is an essential business out there. And there are a lot of companies that are still taking meetings. And there are a lot of companies out there that are still okay with having a face-to-face, I'll even shake your hand type of a meeting. But then in the same time, they're aware of the public pressures. And if they got to turn on a dime, everybody's got to understand. And Bailey, your story illustrated that perfectly, how you showed up and you had to make a, you had to pull an audible, man. You had to be a Tom Brady and pull an audible right at the line of scrimmage. I did. And you know what? It wasn't so bad. It was kind of amusing. You know, it's not every day you get those opportunities. So it'll be a cool story for the future. But the only thing that I find utterly most surprising right now with all those is my email blowing up with uh, stuff postponed. And I mean, so far out. And I mean, I challenge you with this, Jason. What's so weird to me and, you know, like a shout out to, you know, uh, Kit and Austin Jennings, they had to postpone the Energy Expo. And I found that really surprising because it's really far out. So, I mean, we're really looking at this from a long-term point of view versus just a month from now, it's going to be normal. Jake, how about you? Go ahead. How about you at your workplace? You know, you're a guy who takes meetings. You're in charge of expanding the the, the company's dream and goal, keeping an eye on the day-to-day operations, but at the same time, making sure that when Bailey's out there putting business on the books, you got to make sure you guys can deliver. How are you guys doing at the home office? We're doing all right. It's uh, it's been up and down, comes and goes. It's like, uh, seeing, just like you said, project cancellations and, and delays, but we're still seeing bids come in, so that's good. 
and on the note of uh, the expo getting pushed back and, and the long term of it, they're even talking about uh, increasing the absentee ballots in Wyoming. And that's uh, that it doesn't come until election when uh, the election's not till the 8th of August, I believe. And uh, so they're talking about making changes there and uh, a lot of vendors and, and um, clients are still sending out notices. This is our new deal. Uh, you got to fill out this questionnaire before you come to our location, send it into safety. Um, and then uh, ISN and those other uh, third parties, they're requiring us to uh, create new uh, COVID-19 procedures and it's uh it's it's still very loud and out there that's for dang sure well that's the one thing i've noticed more than anything is that nobody has any answers and yesterday again we're recording this right right before you know basically it's good friday so right before easter sunday uh yesterday was the opec plus and then i realized there's an opec plus plus now i mean i i I didn't even realize there was an opec plus and then they pull out the opec plus plus so that was confusing but then all of a sudden, you know, they have this big meeting and there was a lot of positivity. But at the end, everybody says, but we still got to read it and make sure they follow the schedule. So we're not really sure. So we've got uncertainty there. Nobody really understands the COVID-19 uncertainty. I'm supposed to MC the Bach and barbecue. That's still on in the first part of June. But as you mentioned, you know, Austin and Kit Jennings, who have been doing the Energy Expo for 20 some years, they've already pushed it back to September Major League Baseball, NFL, National Basketball League. I think a lot of people are kind of taking taking uh, cues from that and then kind of going backwards. And that's why I was pretty happy the Bakken Barbecue is like, you know, we're going to remain positive till the last very second, you know, type thing. But even, even she's starting to feel the pressure there a little bit. And it's still months away. That's the thing that's so crazy about this is we're still months away from things. So... Uh, it's an interesting dynamic. The only reason I bring it up is because I just I, I just want to ta- have people just take a step back and stay calm because, you know, the leaders right now, like, you know, say Trump, for example, to bring in Donald Trump with the OPEC stuff. He doesn't even really have the answers yet. He's trying to just say, let's get back to work by Easter. And then he comes back. Let's get back to work by May 1st. So he's you know, he, he wants to get things moving. But at the same time, he understands this is bigger than me. Even you guys know what I mean by that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's, everything's changing every day, ain't it? You know, they, the formulas and the charts that they're bringing out, they, they change from day to day. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. We're just, it's kind of a wait and see type deal, but, uh, you know, all in all, um, it seems in my opinion, I think that the, uh, the curve's starting to flatten and it's going to be up to the states to decide what they're going to do. I mean, we can't have big brother telling us how to, how to do everything and, and every state's going to be different. But, uh, you know, I, Wyoming's been fortunate. We haven't had any deaths yet. And, uh, Oh, for real. I, I, have, a feeling, I, I have a feeling we're the only state that hasn't. And, uh, I have a feeling that things are going to get back to normal quicker here, but you know, you also got to think we're the least populated state and, uh, People are social distancing here for hundred years now. So, <laughs> well, and, and one of the things also I, I want to make sure that people understand is just because we're we're having a conversation about getting back to work doesn't mean that we're being callous or we're being, 
you know, uh, insensitive to the to the people that are affected by this because no, we're not. In fact, the thing that I really want to make sure people understand is the oil and gas industry is needed now more than ever, more than ever. I see I see these headlines about Tesla and Elon Musk about these ventilators, and I get a little bit upset. In fact, I get a little bit insulted. I don't come, listen, I, I don't have an oil and gas background. I've only been in this for like 10 years now, and I fell in love with the capitalism behind oil and gas. I fell in love with the innovation behind oil and gas. I fell in love with the community building behind oil and gas. So when I see them get picked on like the modern day lepers when they're out saving lives every day, I'm a little insulted, to be honest. I'm a little insulted. And... So I'd like to take this opportunity, if you guys wouldn't mind, to kind of talk a little bit about how oil and gas is really helping and healing in the COVID-19 fight and the coronavirus epidemic. Because from the if Elon Musk is getting getting credit in the headlines for ventilators, that's insulting. If do you, do you guys know what I mean by that? Because I really believe that now is the time when when us as an industry should step up and say we are really essential. We are so essential that the governor of Colorado who declared a war on oil and gas now has to admit that we are an essential business, whether it's the diesel that we put in the trucks to get you the vaccines that you need, or whether it's the power that generates the ventilator, or maybe it's even what your mask is made out of. So there's a lot of different things. Uh, Jake, I'm gonna, if you don't mind, I'll start with you and ask you, have you thought about how much of an impact the oil and gas industry has had on the COVID-19 uh, epidemic? Well, it's more than just helping and healing with it. It's, uh, you know, it's an industry that because of the OPEC issues, we're brought to our knees and we're still out there working every day. Um, you know, I've said it a hundred times when it comes to the energy sector, you're not going to find a better safety conscious industry. Uh, <clears throat> whether you're a refiner, a pipeline crew, anywhere you're at in this industry, you know, we're paying close attention to it and, and setting up the procedures to make sure that we can flatten the curve. You know, we don't want it to spread and we don't want our people getting sick. They're, they're our greatest resources and, and, uh, we do what we can to protect them. Um, I think just by getting a, a look at that, I think a lot of other industries could, uh, benefit off of looking at what we've done through this when they start getting back to work, because you know, it's going to be a, there's going to be new norms uh, when someone's sick because this COVID-19 ain't going away. You know, it's, it's, this ain't going to be the last year that people get sick by it. It's going to come back. It's just, how are we going to protect ourselves against it? And there's going to be new norms in the safety world. For example, one thing that we're doing is putting, uh, making it a requirement that all of our mobile shops and trucks and offices all have uh, hand wash stations and hand sanitizer and all that stuff and, and going through the procedures making sure that people aren't coming to work sick red and everything so that's my biggest take on it it's just how the, on the safety side of things people could really look at our industry and see what we're doing to to take care of one another in the community bailey bailey let's transition to you for a second i know we, we talked about this before in a previous conversation but you're out there experiencing a different world than than Jake is, and you you might be hearing some different things from some different people as well. Have you thought about that and the different ways that the oil and gas industry is healing and helping in the COVID nineteen epidemic? 
I have. And I mean, let's look at it this way. Wyoming has 240 confirmed cases. I think probable case was like 82 and recovered patients was like 81. Now, with all that being said, I did see a company, you know, local to Wyoming that were developing masks and making them because they had the people and capacity to do so. And they stressed, you know, how they were helping oil and gas and why, you know, every little material being put into these items was utilized. But then I think it, we got to ensure that it's humbling, too, because then the next day they were blasting how they were selling these items. I think I think it's a double edged sword, because like we talked about previously, I think besides like toilet paper and some food items like fruit, vegetables, etc., most everything has petroleum products in it. So people, I think, are really starting to see that with the utilization of social media and like the Colorado conversation, the attacks they've had, they're like, oh, wow, you know, maybe we should take a step back and see how much involvement they have. I think 90% of social media posts that show how involved petroleum is with everything going on with the, the COVID-19 epidemic are based off of the products and oil and gas specifying how they're involved with the development of those. You know what? I think that we're going to see a revolution once things get back to normal. Um, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of this manufacturing come back. Just, you know, we, it, it's been proven time and time again that we can do it. Getting it, sending it all out overseas, I think it's all going to come back because we've got mom and pops putting things together. Uh, I, today I bought some hand sanitizer at the truck stop, and it's in a, a bottle like those five-hour energy bottles. These, the American companies are great, and the American people are great, and I think it's going to end up being beneficial and horrible that people have died and that people have gotten sick. But I think we're going to see an American revolution here with uh, the manufacturing industry, and, and I think that's going to do nothing but help our industry. It's going to be interesting to see what the new normal is going to be because the pullback has been so extreme that they almost can roll out a lot of different plans and you know to where we've already seen uh, some senators in Congress put a halt on the Democrats who have openly said, let's take advantage of this to roll out our new deal and different things like that. And it's it's really too bad when they start playing politics on something like this, because at the end of the day, the oil and gas industry is still the only industry that's added jobs over the last decade. And that's the one thing that it's, it's, it's very difficult to have a conversation about oil and gas these days without somebody automatically putting it into the political world. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have the, the um, conversation about how the oil and gas industry is really healing and helping the fight for COVID-19. I mean, here you got Bailey going out there doing his part. He shows up to a meeting and he's got he's to uh, participate in a meeting like he's a prisoner at the local, local jail through the glass. And, you know, you get, did you have to pick up the phone, Bailey, and talk through that too? I mean, it's just kind of... <laughs> But it's, it's the way things are, you know, and we're okay with it. We could joke and we can laugh about it because we're trying to look at the bigger picture here. And to me, the bigger picture still involves oil and gas. And I understand that there was a lot of pork put in the recent bailout, um, whatever that was, the CARES Act, that really took care of wind and solar. Okay, I mean, it really did. In fact, I just saw a headline yesterday that talks about Oh, oil and gas is tanking. Well, wind and solar are taking off. Well, 
that's just so unfair. And that's just not even a correct narrative. And in fact, how is wind and solar already getting the money before the American people? This is not right on so many different levels. But the big picture is that you can't do any of it without oil and gas. So as much as they demonize oil and gas, it's still, what, 92 to 96 percent of our daily lives, from our toothpaste to our toothbrush to the cars we drive. I don't see that that. reducing down to less than 40 or 50 percent in our lifetime. So I still think oil and gas is going to be around for a long time, guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, and it shows how strong our industry is because we don't get those special subsidies that the wind and solar get. You know, and and we continue to fight through it. It, We'd be a lot further ahead if we did. And if there is some out there, I I didn't know very little about them. So, no, in fact, a lot of the um, it's kind of interesting because a lot of the subsidies that are supposed to go to small businesses like oil and gas people are actually going to the restaurants first. So even even the 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 demonizing that oil and gas was finally going to get subsidized. Well, that's turning out not even to be true. Because a lot of that small business uh, uh, bailout money, there isn't enough, and it's not even going to trickle down to them. So it's 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 very interesting how this is all playing out. But I do see the oil and gas industry making it through this. And actually, what's what's going to be great about this, guys, is we are going to be more efficient. We are going to be stronger, and it is going to be a different industry. And that's okay because that needed to happen. You know, I went through it with the media. I mean, jeepers, creepers, you know, you had a you had newspapers that had a hundred year monopoly in a town. The internet comes around and in ten years they're filing bankruptcy. That's a paradigm shift, guys. And I've been through that before and you know, look at the media. They're still working through it, but at the end of the day, they can get information out there faster still. And that's all they're trying to do. And so in oil and gas they're still going to try to pump and create products and let the marketplace decide. That's what I love about oil and gas. They let the marketplace decide and they build communities. And I just don't see that going away. Even even as as many Greta Thunbergs as they can throw at everybody, they I still don't see that community spirit and brotherhood and em- empowerment going away. The the judgment stuff that that only lasts so long. So sorry guys, I just had to opinionate myself. I had to opine before before reflecting over this Easter weekend. Touche, Jason. Touche. So anyway, so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that as we kind of conclude down here a little bit. Uh, Jake, just talk about what's next for you guys, who you guys are looking for, for partnering with. And then uh, Bailey, we'll let you give yourself a plug in case anybody wants to get some business on the books type of a thing. But uh, Jake, what are you guys looking for? What's uh, kind of, you know, your next step? Well, we're, uh, we're looking at, We'll look at all the projects, really. Uh, it's it's nice to pick and choose the ones we want to go after. We're we're definitely chasing gas plants big time. Uh, we're uh, while we're on the subject, I uh, heard that the uh, XL pipeline's finally going to come across the border. Canada approved it up there, um, so that that's a good one. There's and then uh, something that we were looking at today. Bailey and I were talking about that the. Uh, that large discovery up in Alaska, right next to the pipeline, they're saying that uh, after it's refined, it's going to be over 500 billion barrels of oil. Uh, th- there's a lot of exciting stuff still happening out there, and, and we're keeping our ears to the ground. How about you, Bailey? Go ahead and give yourself a plug for people in case they want to you know, have you come by and do one of those between-the-glass meetings. 
You know, I mean, if you want, in the words of Jason, a Tom Brady, that you can at least, you know, have a face with in a conversation to talk insulation, scaffolding, heat trays, abuses abatement, painting and coating, maintenance, all the jazz, I'm going to make time. But other than that, he's right. You know, we just we just want to build partnerships with the right people, the ones out there that uh, really want to get stuff done properly. You know, safety, quality, productivity being the main thing. And that's it. We want to align ourselves with have- with uh, people and, and companies and organizations that have the same ideals and, and values that we do when it comes to the effort we put into our projects. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. You mind blown, your mind blown, and that's all you need to know. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. And that's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. I'd like to thank John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting for coming on today's program, as well as Jake Milney and Bailey Midkiff coming on The Crude Life, where the industry comes to talk. In just a moment, Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm. We're going to hand the baton off, and he's going to explain the language of pandemic and epidemic and why it could be extremely important in the oil and gas industry. It's a three-minute update that we do every day on a bunch of radio stations. So we put it here on the podcast as well to kind of end the program along with a couple tunes from the Moody River Band. I like to call them our house band here. Also at the Crude Life show page, we have our daily headlines available if you'd like to check those out, as well as our sponsor of the day, Trunkline. Thank you, Trunkline. Trunkline is the one-stop shop for oil field materials, equipment, and merchandise. Search, compare, and purchase products from vendors all across the country. For more information, check out trunkline.com. Also, congratulations to Swan Energy for being the 2020 March Madness Tournament Crude Life Tournament winner. Swan Energy defeated Target Hospitality in the finals. It was an amazing final for Aries. Uh, buildings made it, as well as canine pipe inspection. The 13 seed made upset after upset all the way to the final four. But in the end, it was Swan Energy over Target Hospitality. All right, folks, that's going to do it for me today. I would like to one more time thank you very much to Trunkline for being today's sponsor, the Moody River Band for being our music crossover, Hatch Coaching for being our studio sponsor, and the Bakken Barbecue for being our phone line sponsor. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, thank you very much, Provolone. I forgot that. Darn it. I forget. I I really, it upsets me when I forget about you because sometimes I get in the zone and I'm, I'm ready to punch out. I'm ready to clock out. And I get used to it because I'm used to having a clock, but then I realize it's a podcast, so I could really talk for another half an hour, I guess. But I don't want to do that. The people are expecting me to hand the baton off to Josh Swanson, and all I did was mess up my ending because I didn't thank you, Provolone. But I need to thank you. I need to, you know, you do a good job. So thank you, Provolone. All right. From the staff here at the Crude Life podcast, including Provolone, always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies.
My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law about how their offices are staying busy while adapting to the COVID-19 shutdown and the coronavirus pandemic. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Josh Swanson, attorney at Vogel Law. It seems like the term epidemic and pandemic could trigger or get caught up on some things. And that's a really good question, Jason, especially when you take a look at, for example, when did the World Health Organization and CDC declare COVID-19 to be a pandemic? Is that an event that officially under the contract triggers it because that's when it was declared a pandemic versus before that when it was spreading throughout parts of Asia. So that's a really good question. And that's that is where lawyers make their money as to when do these events occur. And I, I think, you know, if I'm arguing it, I don't know that I would try to try to tell the court, well, this this wasn't a pandemic or epidemic, Your Honor. I might argue the timeline. In fact, that's what I would probably focus on, depending on the client and the contract, is when did the party have knowledge of the force majeure event being the pandemic? And when was it actually a pandemic or foreseeable? So I, I think the other end of it that's important, too, is that if you're a party to a contract with force majeure language to reach out to the other side, because there's nothing that says, you know, typically when, when we have a dispute, unless there's certain statutory timelines at play, we don't go rushing to the courthouse right away to file a lawsuit. We reach out to the other party and we try to work through it and say, hey, look, I know I can't comply with this contract. This thing is kicking everyone's butt. We know that we got to pay some money. Let's talk about a payment plan or let's talk about an agreement because it's, you know, better to get 50 cents on a dollar right now and then get paid the rest at a later date when this all subsides than for one party to say what we're, you know, we're probably going to see a lot of companies filing for bankruptcy here. So uh, there's different issues at play with that. But but the, the key thing is, you know, one, you can try to work it out with the other side to the agreement. And I think, you know, Cheesecake Factory, they're, they're doing that as an example because they're the, as far as I know, one of the bigger businesses out there that's told landlords, hey, we can't pay right now. So if you're the landlord, you know, what's the alternative? You force Cheesecake Factory into bankruptcy and then who's going to rent the lease space right now at those retail locations? Well, nobody is going to do it. So there's a lot of, you know, you're, you're a guy that, that understands business, Jason. So there, there's a lot of practical implications too, where as a lawyer, I would tell my clients, you know, this is how it could play out. And there really are no good solutions and no good answers. And, and that's the, the one thing with this COVID-19 thing. There's really no good example for litigators, for folks in, in the media, in politics, and even the law. To listen to the full-length interview with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Be sure to check out our daily podcast as well as our social media pages at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life.
lost in the smoke and dream We can feel each other starting to sing It was time to get back to our hearts And stay true Back to the ways of John and June
in the place It's just you and me and baby Singing it like we did in the good old days Yeah, we're singing it like they did in the good old days Because we're back to the way seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.